You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? We doing good? This is a, a weird year because Christmas is on a Saturday. I can say it's weird because it only happens like once every seven years or six years or however math works because leap years change things, right? Um, so because of that reason, we are starting Advent next week. Next week kicks off Advent. So we're going to take a break uh, from our, our series, Flawed Church, that we've been in over the past few weeks, um, looking at the church at Corinth, and we're going to start talking about looking towards Christmas, looking towards the manger scene, looking towards Jesus coming down to earth. So make sure you're here for that next week. We will go ahead and hop in to celebrating Christmas uh, together. So we'll sing some Christmas songs. Y'all know those are my favorite. I don't love them, for those of you who don't know. I'm not a huge Christmas song person, but that's my own flaw, and I own it, okay? I understand I'm not like everybody else. Anyway, continuing on our series, Flawed Church, this morning, we're looking at the church of Corinth, and we've kind of seen all of these things that they struggle with. If you're following along with us, you can open up uh, your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's where we'll be reading from this morning. Uh, last week, we were talking about how Paul explains to the church at Corinth that although they may have the right to eat food that has been sacrificed to idols, that it's like, it's not a big deal, you might have this right, but if you are causing someone else to sin because of it, then you need to not do that. And we talked about the surrendering of your rights, and we talked about valuing uh, and loving others over our own freedom. Right, that we may have the freedom to do something, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Paul, I, I give a more detailed explanation of that because we're kind of picking up on that. This first section here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is continuing that thought process from the end of chapter 8. So um, he, he starts off the day, um, again, recapping that. Uh, I don't know how well you know me, uh, but I am an incredibly selfish human being. There was a, that was a little more shock than I was expecting. I thought I would be like, yeah, we know. Uh, I'm just a really selfish person, right? Like, I'm the person that if we, you know, if there's like a plate of cookies and there's the last cookie, I'll just eat it. Like, I'm not going to ask if anybody else, like if anybody else had wanted it, they would have eaten it already. Like, so I'm going to eat the last cookie or I'm going to be the first one to say, hey, you guys, oh, is it okay if I eat this, right? Like, I'm just a really selfish person. It's something that I've struggled with my entire life. And I'll tell you the best way to fix the struggle of selfishness is to have children. If you have children, they will bludgeon the selfishness out of you. You don't get a choice anymore. Like, you don't have a choice. You've got to get up. If your kid comes and wakes you up at 3 in the morning because they wet the bed, you're like, you can't just be like, go sleep on it. I don't care, right? Like, you got to get up. you got to stop your sleep. You have to lay down your own selfishness for your kids. It's a tough thing, y'all. Let me tell you. Being a parent, a lot of y'all know this. It is a tough thing to lay down that selfishness and to put someone ahead of you. And that's what we see this whole chapter is this idea that Paul is saying, look, we have to, to change our self. Is this issue of self comes across a lot in this passage. 
Paul starts off, um, kind of seems out of the blue. He's defending himself as an apostle and kind of giving an explanation of like, hey, I know that there's been some questions and people were allegedly questioning his um, officehood, officeship, is that a word? Of whatever, his actuality of being an apostle. And they were like, hey, is Paul really this? And it boiled down to the fact that he was also a tent maker. It's that he wasn't just teaching in churches. It was he was also a tent maker. And so people were like, okay, are you really, like, is this really who you are? And so he starts off with a defense um, there. And, and then he actually, uh, so he's defending that and defending the practice of making money from preaching and then explains that he doesn't have to. It's a little weird when you read it. So we're going to read it all together and then we're going to go back and talk about it. Picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For the seal of my apostleship is in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and to drink? Don't we have the right to, make a believing, to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and in the Lord's brother, brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right not to work for a living? Who serves a soldier at his own expense? Uh, side note, nobody does. Like the government reimbursed for, pay, for housing and taking care of a soldier. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out, grain, out the grain. Is it about the oxen that the Lord is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown the spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? I think it's really interesting that Paul says all this. He's like defending it. And then he says this, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that there are those who serve in the temple, that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is altered on the offer? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntary, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my preaching, in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. His purpose is to contrast this practice with the church at Corinth and urging them to give up their rights. He is urging us to surrender your rights. Surrender your rights. Like I said last week, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean that that is what's best. Paul here, he's a missionary, right? Like he is having these, these travels and he moves from city to city and country to country and he's doing a lot of moving. 
So I think that when Paul enters into Corinth, he doesn't, he doesn't really like have a plan for how long he's going to stay. I think that he's probably like, you know what, I'll stay here as long as I need to, and then I'll go on. He was only in Corinth for a year and a half. So he gets there, and I think that he, his thought process has to be, I need to make money even while I'm traveling. So he was kind of this artisan tent maker. Like, that was a common thing to like make things and sell them. And so that's what he did. He was like, I'm not going to just depend on one church because I know I'm going to be moving around a lot, so I'm going to make tents, and that's where my wages are going to come from. And then he also talks about how he's compelled to preach the gospel. And so this, this idea that he was still working was looked down on by the social elite. So the people in Corinth, they were like, they were like are you really an apostle? Like, you can't really be an apostle because you're working. Like, you shouldn't be working if, if you're really supposed to be one of the upper class. Like, you need to quit your job. And that's kind of what the expectation was. And he's, he's writing them to tell them, I don't have to do that. That doesn't make me any less of an apostle because I make tents. He explains that his reward is preaching the gospel, not money. He's like, I do this because my reward is preaching the gospel. Money in the church can be a bad relationship. It can be really bad. If a pastor feels like he's an employee, he might not preach on certain things if he thinks it might get him in trouble, right? Like, he might be less likely to make the congregation uncomfortable if he feels like he works for them. And it's like, oh, I got to make sure I got to keep my job. So I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I got to make sure that I'm keeping them happy so that I don't lose my money. Or he could be doing it to get rich. There, is, there are people who make money doing ministry, and then there are people who do ministry to make money. There are people who just make money doing ministry. This is what they do. And then there's people who enter into ministry looking to make money. And Paul is trying to avoid all of that. He's trying to avoid either they're working for the church and so he feels like he can't get on to them or, or maybe the, the risk or the accusation that he's taking too much from the church. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just in it to preach the gospel. And I'll tell you that that is the sign of a good pastor is that they are just in it to preach the gospel. That's the point. The church is not a place where it's like, okay, well, I need to look for, you know, it's probably time for me to look for a bigger church that maybe has a little bit of bigger salary. And like, that's not how it works. If that's what your pastor's doing, they've got the wrong focus. Pastors are where they are because they're called. I have no desire to go to a bigger church, a smaller church, to make more money, to make less money, to move to a different city. I'm called to be here. And so that's why I'm here. And if I ever get to the point where I'm in it for the money, fire me, right? Like, I, I don't want to be here. It's not what I'm about. And that's what pastors are supposed to be, is I'm here because this is what God has called me to do. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, Jesus literally blinded me and talked to me on the road to Damascus, and he was like, hey, you're going to go share the gospel. And Paul was like, got it, done. Paul was very specifically instructed to do what he is doing. In 2 Corinthians, there's is a, potentially, Paul is speaking into this idea that there might have been people who came to Corinth and were abusing these things he was talking about. They were abusing it, and they're like, hey, you need to give us a little bit more. And they were getting rich off of the people instead of the purpose being to minister, to, to share the gospel. And so 
what Paul is what Paul is saying. He's saying all of this, and the point of this passage is not whether or not pastors should get paid or not, or if they should take a salary, any of that. This is just the example that he's using, again, to say, surrender your rights. He's saying, look, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. He ends the last chapter talking about, um, if it offends my brother for me to eat meat, then I'm going to stop eating meat, right? And he says that in a hypothetical way. So then he takes that hypothetical and he says, okay, here is a real way that I have done this very thing I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to put the rights of others above your own, to lay down your own rights. And he says, look, even though I have every right in the world to take monetarily, to take financially from you guys, I don't do it. It would be really easy for me to do that and I don't do it. And that's what Paul's point is, is again, using an example from his own life to say, look, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do or that I have not done. And then I love the phrase that he uses when he says, we put up with everything, with, sorry, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Use that as a mirror in your own life. Look at that as a mirror in your own life. I'll say it again. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. It's a powerful statement. It is a powerful statement for us to look at and say, okay, is this what I'm doing? That I can put up with anything because the value that I have of the gospel is so high above everything else. I want to make sure that the gospel is advanced, period. And so I will do whatever, put up with whatever to see that happen. He's giving up his rights for their sake and for the sake of the gospel. We have to value the gospel over our own rights. What an example we have in Paul, amen? May we value the advancement of the gospel over exercising our own rights. He continues in verse 19. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from the, God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. If you miss everything else I say today, if this is the only thing that you walk away from today with, I'm, I'm really blessed as a pastor that we don't have cell phone service or Wi-Fi because I don't have to worry about y'all like being on your phones. Like nobody's scrolling Facebook while I'm preaching. It's really nice. It's like the only thing I have to contend with is like the own rabbit trails in your mind and maybe some stomach growling from this corner back here. Um, I don't have a lot to contend with, but if you're not paying attention, this is it. Just pay attention for like two seconds, Okay. Write this down, tweet it, text it, make it your wallpaper, I don't know, whatever it takes to remember this phrase that he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. 
I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I've told you, told you all this before. Uh, I grew up a Georgia Tech fan. It's not my fault. It was my dad's fault, and he's here today, so I can actually blame him. I grew up a Georgia Tech fan, um, and then I got to where I, I didn't really care much about college football. Because if you're a Georgia Tech fan, you don't really care a whole lot about college football. <laughs> um, and so I, I got to the point where I just didn't really care. I just didn't really care. And then I moved to Athens. And I don't know if y'all know this. There's a, there's a football team that plays foot, like college football in Athens. Um, and like they're kind of a big deal. Like people, people like they, it's like a big deal here. Traffic gets awful on Saturdays. Um, people have statues of dogs outside their restaurants. Like it's weird, okay? Like it's a little weird. And so, as someone that is doing ministry in Athens, I was like, you know what? I might as well, right? Like I might as well just start rooting for the Bulldogs. I went to the game yesterday. It was great. It was awesome. Fantastic win. A little boring, right? Like. I mean, it was exciting when they scored, but for the most part, it was like, this is just a, a bulldozing, right? But I did this, and it, I'm so thankful that I did because I've been able to have so many conversations with people. You can jump off relationships building on just a simple thing like sports, right? Like, and so, so you, you get to where you become all things to all people. You move to a city, and it's like, you know what? I'm going to embrace what they embrace. My worst nightmare is that God calls me to New Orleans, and I have to be a Saints fan and an LSU fan. That sounds awful, right? Now, the Falcons keep playing like they're playing. It might be a little bit easier. But, like, that's my worst nightmare. I'm going to have to move there and be like, I guess I'm a Saints fan now. Devin knows. We talk football all the time. My dad knows we hate the Saints. But if that's what it takes to advance the gospel, that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to let go of literally everything. To say, you know what, whatever it takes to advance the gospel, however I can build relationships with these people to advance the gospel. So do you do that? Are you willing to give up the Georgia Bulldogs for the eternity of your neighbor? Are you willing to set aside your political beliefs for the advancing of the gospel? What if God calls you to preach or to reach people in a different culture? Are you willing to change the very way you live, the clothes you wear for the advancement of the gospel? Are you willing to change the language that you speak, your job or your comfort for the sake of the gospel? That's what Paul is saying. I let go of all of that so that I could be with people and share the gospel with them. Paul's talking about being self-denying. Self-denying, denying ourselves. Because people who need Jesus, they're broken people. If we're honest with ourselves, we're broken people. Like the only, the only glue holding us together is Jesus, amen? People who need Jesus are marginalized, abused, forgotten. How do you reach those people? It's not with the attitude of you're wrong and I can't reason with someone who thinks like you do. It's not through pushing people away because they live differently than we do. It's not pushing people away because of their views or their lifestyle. It's literally the opposite. Learn how to relate to those people. Take time to understand where they're coming from. Listen to what they're saying instead of getting argumentative or defensive. 
And I know that your gut reaction might be, Blake, do you know what those people believe? Do you know what they're trying to do to our society? Do you know what they're trying to do to our country? I don't care. Paul didn't say, I've got limits. Like I've become some things to some people. No, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, some might get saved. And if you don't understand what Paul is talking about, the people of Rome had literally conquered his people. Paul is in the heart of the action of one of the, most, one of the biggest cities of the enemy. And he's saying, I've become like them so I can share the gospel with them. This is the enemy he is with. These are the same people that the disciples thought up until Jesus died, they thought Jesus is going to save us from the Romans. Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans because we are being oppressed. You know what Jesus says? No. Go be like the Romans to reach the Romans. There are no enemies on this earth. You do not have enemies. They're broken people. They're people who are hurting. Paul's talking about if you're willing to share the gospel with a military enemy that is oppressing your people. Finding common ground with the people who live with us should, should be a piece of cake, right? That's, that's light work compared to what Paul was doing. But it's only easy if we're willing to be self-denying. If you're willing to die on hills other than the gospel, you're not going to be able to do this. Paul's attitude earlier in Corinth, he says, when I came to you, I knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. He wasn't talking about his opinions or what the Roman government should or shouldn't do to the people of Israel. No. He's like, I don't know anything about that. What I know is that you need Jesus. Again, Paul in, in Philippians chapter 2 he says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Other versions of scripture say, consider others above, more important than yourselves. Find out about other people's interests. Find out other people's beliefs. Don't argue, just listen. Listen, to listen to their hurts. Listen to their hopes, their stories. Don't just live in a bubble with people who agree with you, but embrace people who are not like you. Value others above yourselves. Too bad it's not always as easy as changing your football allegiance to a better team, right? 1 Corinthians continuing in chapter 9, starting at verse 24. He says, Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. At, that, at this time that Paul is writing to the people at Corinth, they hosted one of the largest sporting events 
outside of the Olympics. Every two years, they had this massive sporting event here in Corinth. And so I don't know if Paul is a sports guy or if Paul is just doing this because he, he knows that it's like, hey, people around here like sports. Because, you know, a good pastor uses things like, you know, if there was a pastor in Athens, like talking about college football, like a good pastor would talk about college football a good bit, right? But that was, come on, that was an easy setup. I, I worked right up for y'all to give me a compliment. It's okay. You don't, it's too late now. So he's really smart to do this, to say, hey, look, I know y'all like sports. You got this whole sports thing that happens here, sports games, you like it, and boxing and running, right? And he, he relates it to that. And he even uses the phrase of a crown that will fade away because they were given these like, like leaves, foliage crowns, you know what I'm talking about that you've seen? Like that's what they were given to the winners. And it's like, those things, those are going to disintegrate, right? Like they just fade away. And he's like, we don't do it for these crowns. We do it for a crown that lasts forever. And I love that he's relating it to the people of Corinth. And he uses this to convey that there is a big difference in running for fun and running to win. Right, Jeffrey? That's right. Like, if you, like you can run for fun and that's one thing. But if you want to win, you got to train hard. <laughs> Jeffrey and his wife, they run a lot. They go run. Y'all run this weekend? Yeah. Ran a 10K yesterday and browsed. Did you win? <laughs> hey, he's just in it for the fun. That's fine. When it comes to running, that's fine. If you just want to be in it for the fun. But if you're in it to win, you have to train a whole different way. There's a whole different level of training that you have to do. And that is what Paul is talking about. And I love the metaphor of boxing that he uses, right? Because he's talking about how difficult it can be to live for Jesus. You have to be self-disciplined. You have to be self-disciplined. Because there, there's going to be a lot of things in the world that try to throw you off course. Your own flesh, your natural bend is always going to be towards sin. And then there's a very real enemy who is pushing after you, who is chasing you, to try to get you to live for any kingdom other than the kingdom of God. Shadow boxing is not going to prepare you for the trials that life is going to throw at you. If you're a boxer, you can have fantastic technique. You can have really fast hands. You're going to be like, I'm ready to go. But the first time you take a punch in the face, you're going to be like, what just happened, right? If you're not preparing to get punched in the face, you're going to lose. If you're not ready for the things that are going to come at you, it doesn't matter how good you are offensively because you're going to get knocked out real quick. And so Paul is saying, look, I don't shadow box for this. I'm not doing this for fun. I'm not doing this just so I can say, hey, I'm a boxer. He says, I'm doing this so that I can win. Sometimes that takes throwing punches at my own body to make sure I am staying disciplined. To live for the sake of others to put people above ourselves. It doesn't just happen from church attendance. It doesn't just happen from a knowledge of God and, and things about him. It takes discipline. It takes work. And again, I've talked about how this is not about religious performance, and that's not what I'm talking about here either, because Jesus has done it all. Jesus has saved you. You cannot do anything to earn salvation or add to your salvation. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about carrying out, living your life in a way that honors Christ. There are things that we can do to make sure that we are staying connected to Jesus and living our lives in a way that honors him. 
Those things are actually called spiritual disciplines. There is a whole world of things that are spiritual disciplines. We spent, those of you guys who were with us on Wednesday nights, I don't know what, like two years going through spiritual, like it's, it's been a long time that we spent going through spiritual disciplines. I have this awesome book that's just like 75 or more spiritual disciplines and a brief overview of them. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And these are things that, that are not necessarily all like, hey, this is a requirement. You need to do this if you're living for Christ, but things that can help us. Some things that you're probably familiar with, Bible reading. Read your Bible. That's a spiritual discipline. Whether you're reading it and you're reading the message version that we have here, the story version, that it's like, hey, I just want to know more about God, and I'm reading it like devotionally. Like, I just want to know more about God. Or whether you are getting into deep Bible study and saying, hey, I want to get into some original languages. I want to get in and see like, hey, what does this version say about this? What does this version say, version say here? Deep Bible study is a, is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. It's something that you do to stay connected to God. And then there's different types of prayer. That's what I love about this book is it talks about all these different types of prayer that I didn't even know existed, right? Like different ways that you can pray. Contemplative prayer. Breath prayer. Praying scripture to God. Liturgical prayer. Prayers that people have said for years or praying specific things that have been written down and other people are also praying. Meditation. Meditating on scripture, spending time just sitting with the word, picking out a verse and just sitting with God and asking him to reveal and to teach you and think on this, these things. Worship is a spiritual discipline. We come and we, we sing in worship. That is a spiritual discipline. We also share communion. That is a spiritual discipline. It's something that you are doing to remind your body, hey, th this is what my purpose is. Sabbath is a spiritual discipline. Then there's the idea of pouring into other people that is a spiritual discipline, discipling other people, teaching one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, holding people accountable, accountability groups, evangelism. These are all ways that we can pour into others with our spiritual disciplines. Journaling is a spiritual discipline. To sit down and say, I'm just going to sit and write to God or write about what God is doing in my life, or whatever it is, it is a similar to meditation of I'm going to just sit and be in the presence of God. Even things like forgiveness, humility, controlling the tongue, unplugging, solitude, these are all things that we can do with the purpose of connecting to God. I'm going to do this for the purpose of connecting to God. Things that we put into place, that it's like, I'm not just going to come to church and, and casually, you know, do, do Christianity for fun. You know, I'm just, I'm just in it for fun, and I'm just here for the, the fellowship and the, the breakfast that they do the first of the month, and they, they feed you a lot here, so I'm really just here for that. Like, it's not just for fun. Like, we have, we have a purpose. We have something we're supposed to be doing. These spiritual disciplines focus on denying us, ourselves, denying ourselves and refocusing on God. Again, some of what I mentioned, those, those things are, are things that we are called to do. Some of them are just really cool things that we can put into practice. Like journaling is not like a concept that there's a ton of scripture about journaling things, but it can be a really beneficial way to connect to God if that's how you connect to God. It stems from the idea of letting go of ourselves, 
reminding ourselves, pushing ourselves towards God. It doesn't happen on accident. We may have things that we have a right to do, but that may not be beneficial to others. We have to be willing to know when it's best to surrender our own lives so that the gospel can advance. Sometimes that involves self-denial, that we let go of the things that we want in order to connect with people that we might be inclined to listen to or spend time with them. Again, if you hear nothing else from today, Catch this phrase that Paul says when he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Live that. And you're not going to be able to do it on your own strength. You're not going to be able to just will yourself to do this. It takes discipline. We have to refocus, recenter ourselves on the things that God has called us to do. Because you're not called to live as a casual Christian but to train with purpose because you have a purpose. To love and to share the gospel of Jesus with the world. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for Paul's encouragement towards letting go of ourselves, to be selfless for the sake of the gospel, to be self-sacrificing, self-denying, and self-disciplined. God, I pray that you would just help us, That, especially those of us who struggle with selfishness, that we just think about what we want and what we want to do and how we want to do things. God, you would begin to change our hearts and our minds. God, whether that's just through your supernatural pushing or God, through self-discipline, that you would give us the self-discipline to refocus, to prioritize living for you, to prioritize the gospel, to prioritize others. God, I pray that we would not live as just casual Christians, that we would not live as people who it's like, oh yeah, I go to church sometimes, and that's the depth of our faith. God, that we would seek after and push to be more like you. To live in a way that honors and is thankful for the sacrifice you made. That respects others. That puts others in front of ourselves. We would love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, all our strength. And we love the people around us. And we consider them as more than ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.